What if you put Yoda, a G.I. Joe, He-Man, Skeletor, a Care Bear, and more nostalgic 1980s toys into a yellow box and sent it hurtling at you, the viewer, through a green void hurled by a shadowy figure in the background that could only be the devil. That's the actual cover of a book from vintage 1980s evangelical culture, and we are exploring that book, Turmoil in the Toy Box, just in time for this holiday season. Seasons, greetings, and welcome again to Fantastical Truth from Lorehaven. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher, and of late also the co-author of the nonfiction book, The Pop Culture Parent. Now I'm Zachary Russell, but you can call me Zach the Lego Maniac, and props to you if you can sing that song from the early 90s. This is episode 43, How Did a 1980s Evangelical Book Warn About Turmoil in the Toy Box? So, Stephen, I'll tell you a minute about my uh, my Lego story, but let's hear some of your favorite stories from that time. Well, when I was growing up, toys and Christmas were definitely combined. I can remember several different little fandoms that I got into. And, of course, uh, we're exploring these now, uh, just uh, not just to be nostalgic, uh, but also to connect this to the fantastical world into which God has placed us. And these toys are often mixed up with uh, different uh, geek interests, uh, different fandoms. And yet back then when I was a kid, uh, I think it was uh, there was like a, a little people brand uh, house or something that I remember wanting very, very much. There was this Disney village that for some reason I set my eye on in the uh, big Sears Christmas wish list catalog or something or other. I think Santa had a heck of a time trying to assemble that one overnight and then eventually it vanished from the scene. <laughs> Even after I'd received the thing, I. I think it was meant more for collectors than for kids. And I hardly noticed it was missing. And then I think when I was a teenager, I asked my parents, hey, whatever happened to that? And like <laughs> that one was returned to the North Pole and, you know, just goes to teach a very valuable moral lesson that sometimes kids, the thing that you want most for Christmas isn't going to last. It is an idol. Uh, in fact, you may end up, if you can believe it, playing more with the box than the toy itself. And that's just something that we all need to learn this holiday season and not be consumerist materialists. Yeah. You know, Naomi has this great joke that she's uh, seen and passed around before. It's like the top 10 toys for a kid. And one is like box and one is dirt. And another one is uh, j just, you know, a stick, <laughs> whatever. Like kids can take the, the simplest things and make toys out of them. And these days, you know, the simplest, most wonderful gift for your child that can spark just hours of imaginative play and stimulate uh, their creative development is neither that latest hottest action figure or interactive video game or even a stick or a box. No, the best gift you can give your child is a smartphone. Heartwarming, uh, isn't it? <laughs> well, as I said in the introduction, uh, I'm Zach the Lego Maniac because I loved Legos as a kid. And then there was this commercial that came out with this rhyming song about Zach, Zach, he's a Lego maniac. And wouldn't you know it, every kid in my school saw that same commercial and sang it to me all the time. So I kind of hated Legos for a while, and I shifted to Star Wars toys. And I collected pretty much every Star Wars action figure there was. Uh, I guess these were uh, made by Kenner. And I eventually got this Darth Vader-shaped carrying case and put them all in. I remember of course, seeing that. That's funny. Yeah. And then I, you know, I became a man. I put away childish things. I 
stowed that away in a closet somewhere. Totally forgot about it. Uh, got married. We had kids. And then my mom was like, oh, by the way, I have this still in the closet. And I thought, oh, I need to give this to my kids. And so my oldest two daughters inherited that when they were young. And um, the funniest thing, Stephen, is they didn't immediately go into space battles or things like that. They had all of the Star Wars figures around a campfire and roasting marshmallows together. <laughs> that was their first little adventure that they went on. Maybe it's the planet and, of the Ewoks where they're actually <laughs> roasting stormtrooper heads still inside their helmets and banging on them with drumsticks. Yeah. And then um, my oldest daughter found this little, it's like this travel bingo board where you flip these little things up and she flipped them all up to be like seats in a movie theater and, and put all the figures in there. Like they're going to the movies and then Han and Leia were sitting in the back together on a date. <laughs> and so it was oh, just dear. so funny how they decided to play with them. <laughs> That's uh, so delightfully domestic. <laughs> if you're a fan, a uh, listener of Spaceballs, the movie, you know where I'm going next, which is p- people often say how Star Wars is really all about these toys. That's really how they make money. And this movie came out in the 80s called Spaceballs, which totally... <laughs> proved all this there's this character named yogurt he's like a spoof of yoda and it's uh mel brooks and he comes out and says merchandising merchandising where the real money from the movie is made space balls the t-shirt space balls the coloring book space balls the lunchbox space balls the breakfast cereal space balls the flamethrower and then he actually has one and he says, oh, the kids love this one. <laughs> See, if it would be a Christian bookstore, uh, it would be uh, Spaceballs, the, you know, three, 365 uh, you know, quotes a day calendar or Spaceballs, <laughs> the, the devotional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. The the little painting on the wall, the uh, the Thomas Kincaid. Uh, actually, believe it or not, the, the studio in the name of Thomas Kincaid now is literally doing fan art of DC Comics and Marvel and Disney and Star Wars. Huh. So. We've now, the Thomas Kincaid TM Studios has now completely jumped the shark. Uh, instead of the internet memes where people are photoshopping uh, the Imperial Walkers and the X-Wings oh, and the TIE Fighters yeah. into the little serene cottage pastoral scenes, we've moved beyond that now. It's uh, It's beneficial. Like, everything is corporatized. Uh, so much consumerism. Wow. Well, we're actually going to talk about some, uh, some of those uh, consumerist uh, challenges later. Uh, thanks to this vintage uh, 1980s uh, Christian book that I found and that I remember from my childhood that warned about the threats, spiritual and otherwise, from franchises like going back to the 80s, My Little Pony, or uh, even the uh, the He-Man stuff. Uh, Star Wars even got plenty of warnings about it. This was pre-Harry Potter, folks. Like I grew up hearing about how Ninja Turtles were actually going to teach your kids to believe in reincarnation, and so we'd best not have mm. them around. There was a Christian leader who did a bunch of big character training-based seminars who particularly warned against Cabbage Patch dolls. In his perception, the Cabbage Patch dolls were too lifelike. Their fans were a little bit too zealous. And they would take attention away from the real family that God wanted us to have and possibly be possessed by demons. I am not making this <laughs> mythology up. It's easy to laugh about it now. And yet, mixed in with some of the sillier warnings or even some of the plain false teaching, were also some pretty solid critiques of the idea of toys being attached to movies and you know, merchandise, merchandise, you know, even the, even the <laughs> idea of 
Star Wars, the movie being uh, being tied into the toys. And it was a pretty groundbreaking concept at the time. And so naturally, some people were going to push back on that. And then they would grab for any ideas that they had lying around the house, such as occult, occult symbolisms will corrupt your kid and make them worship Satan. And you would get legit warnings mixed in with, you know, some less legitimate warnings. So that's kind of the the theme today and not just about this book, but kind of the whole little cottage industry, especially going back to 1980s evangelicalism. But first, this episode is sponsored by actually my book, which I probably wouldn't have if not for me reading this book, at least for my part. I'm co-author of The Pop Culture Parent, Helping Kids Engage Their World for Christ. We've spoken about it on the podcast before. Uh, this is my first uh, volume, and it actually released this past fall from New Growth Press. They publish a lot of really great stuff for families and about counseling and just a lot of great scriptural resources. And thank God this book now gets to be among those. And again, I don't think I would have gotten so interested into this topic uh, if it hadn't been for this other book, Turmoil in the Toy Box. Our book doesn't have all the 1980s goodness on the cover, but I, I like the cover a lot. Uh, that is with co-authors Ted Turneau and Jared Moore. Ted teaches a worldview studies in the Czech Republic, and Jared Moore is a pastor in Tennessee, both really good friends of mine. It was a pleasure and a joy to write this resource with them, not only for parents, but for Christians who have any kind of leadership role over kids. And I think just for Christian individuals, too, to kind of look back over how they may have thought about stories or popular culture growing up and then maybe try to connect those themes more directly to a, a biblical worldview, a particularly a gospel worldview. Zach, uh, we released the book, as you know, in the fall, and uh, obviously with the pandemic still going on and now picking back up for the fall, uh, we're not doing a whole lot of book tour type stuff right now, just some virtual things and podcast appearances here and there. But listeners, I would love it if you would pray for uh, the ability to go out and actually be able to share some of this stuff uh, next year. If we get to have real events, if everybody or at least uh, most people are getting vaccinated, that would be amazing. Yeah, Spaceballs the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, I would love to uh, be able to uh, go to some of these events, you know, have a booth, uh, hang out with my publisher and other other booksellers and just be able to get this uh, get this resource to as many people who need it. Anyway, for now, you can get The Pop Culture Parent, of course, at Amazon or a whole lot of uh, Christian or other uh, booksellers online. We'll obviously have the link in the show notes and a picture of the cover and all that good stuff. And you can find out more. Uh, just go to lorehaven.com and we'll have the link to The Pop Culture Parent uh, in the Beyond menu as it is now. And we have the popcultureparent.com, which is uh, tied in with the site. Well, let's hear more about this book, Stephen, Turmoil in the Toy Box. Because, you know, I had never heard of this book before. You had mentioned it to me a couple episodes ago, but I, I looking back now in my childhood, I can sort of see this influence on a few friends that I grew up with that I, I think their parents probably had read this. As you know, I grew up in a church going family, but it wasn't an evangelical. So I didn't really have the evangelical subculture a lot growing up. So it's just, it's just funny how we've sort of had these very different childhoods and, and very different adulthoods. But, uh, you know, I, I remember people saying as a kid, uh, oh, you know, Cabbage Patch dolls or, you know, there's something wrong with them. And I and I was the type of kid that played with the Garbage Pail Kids cards. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, that was yeah, like a really Yeah, you thing. would be. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. That's, that's very late Gen X of you. Yes, yes. Uh, so tell me about this book. 
Well, this was a book, I think actually it was first published, uh, actually have it right here in my hands. Uh, it says copyright 1986 by a company called Starburst, which isn't that, don't, don't they make candy bars uh, in the in the convenience store uh, checkout lane there? Now, yeah, first printing, June 1986. Uh, this book was very popular. Uh, as of this copy here, it says 11th printing, July 1990, which I guess would be the, the latest wow. edition here that I'm holding. And then, and then the cover underneath the toy box with some very well-drawn uh, uh, versions of all these 80s characters. Oh, there's a Transformer there, too. And some guy, I think that's a Thundercat. I'm not sure. See, while you were more involved in this uh, 80s popular culture directly, you know, it was more of the margins for me. This says yeah. over 135,000 in print. So it, it required uh, multiple different printings because uh, the message was finding an audience. The book, uh, the title, of course, Turmoil in the Toy Box. This is very uh, bold and sinister font. I mean, there's not a whole lot of books that have both Barbie and a Cabbage Patch doll and the devil on the cover. So <laughs> Christians in the uh, 2020s, step up your game, okay? There's a little too many swirly patterns, too many doves, you know, too too many little minimalist symbolisms here. Like you need to have a toy box with a Transformer and Darth Vader right there, right there in your face. Yeah, I love how He-Man is like breaking out of the box at the front. Now, yes, he, he is. is. He's definitely his, one of my favorite ones. As he's a kid. got his battle axe. Yeah, this is a very well-drawn He-Man. Like Bar Barbie's face is a little bit off, uh, but, uh, you know, and it's immediately recognizable as Barbie. Uh, anyway, folks, get get you a cover like this, and then maybe you too can have 135,000 <laughs> copies in print. The author's name is Phil Phillips, which is like one of the most marketable names ever. And it's fascinating to for me to reread this book lately and then get his backstory. He was a traveling evangelist for a while, uh, uh, apparently a oh. son of a, a pastor's family. And he actually says in the book, so this isn't gossip or anything. He says in the book that when he was doing this traveling evangelism thing, and he was getting help from family members and friends and stuff, and his parents were worried about him. So clearly from humble origins there, uh, trying to apparently serve the Lord, serve the church in the best way he knew how. And somehow along the way, he got, uh, he got himself into a toy store at the mall back when they had malls. Uh, he bought a, I think it was a Skeletor action figure or something from the He-Man universe. Uh, he, he took it home. He never says why, by the way. He talks about, you know, I just happened to find myself in a toy store and I happened to see this toy and I didn't know there were toys like this. So I bought it. I brought it home. He read the little comic book in there, which in his mind was full of occult imagery. And he became very concerned and thought, why would anyone give this to a child? It's, it's going to corrupt them. It's going to uh, send them in all kinds of uh, false beliefs, you know, maybe witchcraft and things. Interestingly, now it's very hard to find this author. There's a few other authors now with the name Phil Phillips. There's at least one uh, thriller writer out there. He's not him, as far as I can tell. There was one Phil Phillips who runs like some ministry, which has a web page, but there's zero online profile for this guy. He seems to have just vanished. And yet the book and its legacy remains. Uh, Cartoonbrew.com actually did a little retrospective on the book a few years ago. We can include that link in the show notes. Uh, I thought it was a pretty fair and yet, uh, I think, uh, from outside the church, remembrance of what was in the book. But there wasn't just this book, as you mentioned, Zach. Like a lot of these ideas were just spreading around in uh, Christian among Christians, in organizations, on uh, Christian talk shows and radio programs. It was a meme. It was a meme among Christians that these new kinds of toys, the, the mega franchise, you know, consumerist uh, corporate toys often tied in with movies and TV shows 
had something suspicious about them. Uh, they were going to lead your child into anti-Christian views of sex or anti-Christian views of the occult and thereby were best put away. Uh, maybe you want to get some wholesome toys instead. Uh, that's the argument that he makes here in this book. And, and as we'll see, it's actually mixed in with a lot of good ideas, but obviously uh, a lot of very mystical views of witchcraft and stuff. And we'll, we'll go into that just a little bit. Um, this is kind of a fun and I hope respectful retrospective on this volume. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it's interesting to hear kind of the origin of a lot of these concerns that have grown up in the evangelical world that again, I, I entered to entered into more later in my life, but you know, it, it's, it's almost like, well, everything old is new again. You know, you hear a lot of these same concerns with any amount of pop culture you can think of today, or even just social media or TikTok or whatever. Well, by the way, don't get TikTok for other reasons. It's for a security no, TikTok reason. TikTok is evil. Uh, it doesn't need any occult <laughs> symbolisms or ram's horns or goat's feet or anything like that, that you seeing them, your child will immediately say, hail Lucifer. TikTok <laughs> is a lot more subtle. The devil has gotten a little bit more clever. I'm being slightly sarcastic. Uh, we have kids in the house who enjoy TikTok and you know, yeah. it's, uh, it just, it, I noticed it can be kind of addicting just in terms of the short form video format. But then again, you know, any popular culture can be addicting if it resonates with the right personality. Right. Well, any, uh, any disclaimers, uh, before we get going in this discussion, just a few sweet concessions. If you're not too full of those Thanksgiving leftovers, uh, Turkey and dressing and all that, at least if you're listening in the United States, it's a few quick concessions. We, like I said, we're going to be try. we're going to try to be kind here. I mean, I, I don't view, uh, Phil Phillips, uh, wherever he may be. Hi, Phil, if you're listening, I don't view him as a false teacher or anything like that. And I'm sure he got a lot of nasty pushback from people just because he was in one way or another urging parents or Christians to act with discernment. I'm going to read this with the best possible perspective of his motives, even if I'm disagreeing with some of the execution. I think he meant well in this book. Uh, nothing we say here, of course, is meant to Hold up the idea of media discernment for mockery. We believe in discerning popular culture. I, I helped write a book about it. Uh, the very idea that Christians are supposed to take seriously these hazards in the world, uh, these ideas that can be harmful, like that is biblical. And we definitely endorse and respect that. At the same time, even if we are disagreeing or even having a little fun with the idea that if your child sees a creature with goat's hoofs on TV, that's not going to corrupt your child. And we, we might necessarily, we, we might, we might have a little fun with that, but nothing we say is meant to challenge the idea or, or make light of the idea that Satan is real or that the occult is a threat. They absolutely are. And the very reason why we need to dismiss some more shallow treatments of those threats is so that we can actually take them more seriously. At the same time, as we've mentioned before on this podcast, and we'll continue to explore true harm from the occult is because those ideas or symbols or whatever are resonating with the idolatry in a person's heart. It is the sin in a person's heart that is going to lead them into evil, not because they have caught evil like a virus from outside themselves. At the same time, if anybody's going to talk about these 1980s toys, I've already alluded to this, but I didn't have a lot of these uh, stereotypical 1980s toys growing up. No He-Man action figure and not even a Barbie doll ever graced the brunette house uh, before the year 1990, or even afterward, as I can recall, there may have been a holiday Barbie or two more as a decorative item, but, uh, we, we never had any of these, no Ninja Turtles, uh, not even any Star Wars growing up. I bought my first Star Wars figure, uh, in 2015 after the force awakens came out. 
And lately, Zach, too, I really want to get a Mandalorian figure and a Cara Dune. Oh, yeah. And a Cara Dune. Cara Dune right now, the Black Series line, $70 yep. on Amazon. <laughs> she is in very high wow. demand. So I don't think she's at actual risk. Of, of, I don't think uh, Gina Carano, the actress, is at actual risk of being canceled. She's way too popular. Well, I can be your 80s toy expert. I mean, as I Do mentioned, it. but I, uh, you know, I had a He-Man birthday party as a kid. I still have my Thundercat sword. My kids play with that. Uh, of course, we talked about Star Wars and uh, had what, whatever else with GI Joe. I don't, I don't know if I still have my all my GI Joe things, but you know, it, it's just fun now to ha- still have a lot of those things I've passed on to my kids, and we we still get to see them in action. So, so back to this book, Turmoil in the Toy Box. You're not saying it's like all bad, right? No, and and that's my first point. There is that the this this book uh, could have been much worse, but I think the author approached it with uh, with good faith. As I mentioned later, um, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of explicit gospel teaching or connections in the book that I can see. Even just the simple John 3.16 idea of, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You know, even that would have been very welcome. How much more so than would one need to connect the purpose of toys or play or recreation or imagination to the fact that we are living in God's universe and that God has given us the gifts of making these things for his glory before the sin gets involved. I mean, it's very important to tie that into a holistic biblical worldview. Unfortunately, the author doesn't do that. But what he does do, I think, is motivated well. I've noticed during my reread uh, that he is engaging as much as he can with then contemporary sources about child psychology. He seems Mm -hmm. to have wanted to understand what imagination is for and the fact that imagination is healthy and play is healthy. There's not a bit of the notion in here that kids really ought not be playing anyway. They just need to finish their homework or study biblical character or learn to do ministry. No, he's understanding as best he can that children should play. This is how they develop. This is how they grow. And in fact, a lot of the chapters actually sound very secular uh, when uh, he's talking about this. But I view that as, I think, healthy, especially for a Christian book that is talking about occult symbolisms in the toy industry. This could have gone a lot more wrong than it did. Interestingly, too, Zach, he's also warning frequently about consumerism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't actually get, at least for the time, you know, the cliche, especially about the 80s, is that you know, every Christian was on board the, uh, on board the Reaganomics train because Ronald Reagan was the president and cultural conservatism was in the ascendancy. And so the notion was, is that Christians thought there was nothing wrong with capitalism. You know, we were just all supposed to be good consumers because that was biblical or something. Well, I do believe that free markets are supported by scripture and that there is an intrinsic good about the idea of a corporation before sin and greed and all that get involved. But here, uh, Phil Phillips is explicitly warning about consumerism and materialism and buying too much stuff and throwing your kids in front of the TV instead of playing with them yourself as a parent. He's actually very encouraging about that is, uh, you know, he, he could have said more, I think, but he's constantly saying, hey, parents, you know, don't just let your kids play with the toys and then channel whatever they watched on TV about the toys into their play. You know, if possible, it would be great if you could get down on the floor with them and encourage them to develop their imaginations yourself and help them come up with their own characterizations and abilities of the toys. It really seems to be what he's saying there. So that's the good parts here. I mean, he'll he'll immediately jump to some other 
uh, things that are just assumed that are, I don't think they're very biblical ideas, but I really appreciated his heart here in trying to get parents to think more, maybe not more biblically, but more rationally. And I think um, just in, 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 in a, as, as better parents uh, for their kids. So if, if parents, uh, Christian parents or whomever read this book and got that message out of it, then that is of the Lord. That's a good common grace. And I thank God for that. Yeah, I think all the time about this sermon I heard when we were new parents, uh, which was uh, at our old our church went to when we were first married, and it was all about resisting the temptation to make parenting about giving your children things. Uh, and our pastor was like, you know, you can either give children things or you can give them yourself. And I I thought at first I I was like, what like is that really how it works and you know, I, I've seen this play out so many times in my own life, Stephen, as is a, is a father, that um, it's just really tempting to like, oh, go play with that thing. And rather than like uh, my son, what, what he loves to do with me is build a new train track. And so we have this train track we can take apart and build in any shape we want. And that's his favorite thing to do with me is just like, hey, let's build a new train track. And it's, you know, at first I'm like, well, we already did that. <laughs> but it, it's really the act of building it together. You know, and he kind of puts on this whole persona that he's like this uh, train engineer whenever we're building one. And so that is what is so fun to, uh, to a kid is when you actually engage with them. So I, I definitely agree here with the author's point. Right. And, and it is something that I think he carries on throughout the book. I think the latter portions of the book, uh, the chapters are more specifically warning about Star Wars and Cabbage Patch Kids and, of course, Dungeons and Dragons, the kingpin of all wickedness uh, to well-meaning evangelical Christians in the 1980s, uh, which leads to my second big point there. And I'll cover this only in brief uh, because uh, for more about this topic, uh, you need to go listen to at least the Fantastical Truth episodes 37 and 38 about uh, should Christians enjoy fantasy with fictional magic. So we get into some of that here and I won't rehash it all again. But point two is that the author is assuming here with, with no proof that there is evil in an occult symbol and your kids will be stained by that evil, just like they would be stained by consumerism. In fact, he'll often just kind of jump from one idea that, okay, consumerism is going to harm your kids or binge watching TV is going to stunt their growth. Oh, so, so how much more so would they be harmed by exposure to an occult symbolism or Skeletor, you know, who has a skeleton head and a staff with a ram's head at the end of it, you know, like, some of these ideas, like even just simple animal motifs that just happen to have been co-opted by pagans or uh, occult practitioners somewhere. Uh, the idea is that if, you, if your kids see that, then they are going to be exposed to that. And then therefore, they're going to be corrupted by Satan. And the author actually treats this uh, in a bit of a shallow way. Like I've seen better, more effective arguments that these symbols are tied in with paganism. And therefore, Satan is at the back of them and is going to creep into the heart of your child if they're watching a TV show with these symbols in them. Uh, but uh, Mr. Phillips doesn't seem to have the interest in proving that stuff. He seems to think that all of that has already been proven elsewhere and it's at the back of his ideas, but he doesn't bring it to the front. And real quick, here's what I mean with an excerpt from the book. This is actually from page 35. Watch the last sentence. Watch how he kind of jumps from one argument to the other. And there's some uh, this is an excerpt with some ellips ellipses in it. Uh, we'll link that, uh, put that quote in the show notes. Quote, with the influx of television in our lives, it often shapes the personalities that children give to their toys. Today, many major toy companies simultaneously release toys and cartoons. 
As a result, when children watch cartoons, images are formed in their minds regarding how the toy should behave and the various powers it has. When a child watches a cartoon and then plays with a toy connected to that cartoon, he is no longer projecting himself into the toy. Instead, cartoons have programmed the child to play with toys in a certain way. For this reason, it is not healthy for children to play with toys linked to television shows. When a toy is linked to occult symbolisms, the negative influences are more severe. End quote. So you notice there he's mm. jumped from one to the other. You know, the consumerism, uh, the potential uh, maldevelopment of the imagination. But then he, he's talking about that, the consumerism. Then he jumps from there to the occult part. And I have to say, there's no chapter or portion at length in the book where he's talking about what is the occult? How are these symbols harmful? What does the Bible say about the occult? He doesn't go into Deuteronomy 18. He doesn't go into the Apostle Paul's warnings about sorcery or pharmakeia or the idolatry that's uh, that the back of those evils. Uh, he seems to think that's already been done and he can just proceed straight to the application. Quote, it is not healthy for children to play with toys linked to television shows. End quote. Uh, that statement goes too far before he even starts talking about how much worse than is the occult. He's gone from a rational or even secular argument about consumerism and imagination to this sort of pseudo-Christian, spiritual, very culturally Christian argument to warn against the occult. He doesn't show that from the Bible. He doesn't do any exegesis there. Uh, and you, so therefore, the book ends up a bit mixed in portions like this because you're getting both healthy and I think fair warnings about how children need more development of their imaginations. And then suddenly he jumps to, and this is why you shouldn't play with a toy that has a skeleton head for a head. You know, it's interesting. There's sort of a modern day secular version of this that, that I saw. I've seen come up with a lot of things, but most recently I saw it come up with Paw Patrol. Now, of course, people criticize Paw Patrol for how it's taken over kids' minds and parents' wallets because there's a million different like toys you could buy for Paw Patrol, and my kids have most of them. But this summer when the uh, defund the police movement kind of started gathering steam, Paw Patrol came under the, you know, uh, was targeted by this movement saying, well, your kids shouldn't play with Paw Patrol because one of them, uh, man, I'm going to get in trouble here because I can't remember which one. One of them is a cop. And, you know, we don't want to teach our children that cops are good or, you know, uh, working for the good. Cops are oppressive and like we need to get rid of cops. And it was just this really bizarre argument. And Naomi and I read this and we're like, let's go buy some more Paw Patrol toys just because we're going to be a little countercultural. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, again, it's that idea that a toy can somehow magically turn your kid evil, uh, even if it's a toy that it's like a hero in the story. It's just this really weird argument. It is weird. And I think I remember uh, that little brouhaha uh, this past summer. Oh, Paw Patrol's getting canceled. Well, that meant that there was a few loudmouths on Twitter who were being louder than usual about it. And then someone else at a prestige publication decided to take it seriously because they're kind of lazy and it's not really journalism to just talk about what's being chattered about on Twitter. However, it is the same impulse. The exact same impulse. Oh no, this this toy franchise, this movie, this uh, this uh, thing is going to corrupt your child. Uh, children, for one thing, are much smarter than we often give them credit for. And they're also a lot dumber than we give them credit for, kind of all at once. But in this case, like no, um, the, the the little police dog is presenting a healthy vision of police officers. You know, to associate that as if it's some kind of secular occult symbol. 
mm-hmm. is I think just the same impulse. And I think that's a really fair point to make is that the same boycott and shame impulse, the wrong kind of boycott, not the kind that we talked about in you know episode 41 that might actually have some, some healthy consequences for it. In this case, it's not just Christians or evangelicals or silly Aunt Karen from the 1980s who wants to boycott Dungeons and Dragons because it's going to corrupt your kid and make them worship the devil. We see the same thing happening with non-Christians or even those who despise Christianity these days. It seems to be a very human impulse, not just uh, one limited to those who follow a particular faith. Right. Just this idea that an object itself can contain and manifest evil. And, um, and by the way, the character I'm referring to is chase i had to look it up but for any listeners out there they're just yelling at the speaker like it's chase okay i know it now <laughs> but uh so back to the book Stephen. W- where does the gospel show up in this book or does it very little and, and that is my third oh. and i guess kind of final point there and to which i've already alluded uh, for a book like this to talk about even the threat of sin and the threat of the occult where there is a threat uh, tempting your child to worship something as god that is not god how much more so do you need to present the true God? You need to present the true Christ and connect him explicitly to the topic. And I just don't see that a lot in this book. I would not call it a, a, a fake Christian book. I, I think it's real. You know, I think Jesus does get name checked, but that's the problem. If you're just name checking Jesus and you're assuming the gospel, as much as he's assuming a lot of these occult symbols will corrupt your child points. If you're just assuming that, then you are on the way to ignoring it, in which case you are on the way to rejecting the gospel. The results are basically the same as if you started off saying in the book, we're not going to talk about the gospel right now. You all already know that. Therefore, I just don't think that's uh, as important. It's absolutely vital to connect the gospel to any exploration of popular culture or discernment or application of holiness seeking, particularly in a family context. When it's hard enough as grown-ups to remember the gospel and how it relates to this stuff, how much more so do you have to communicate that explicitly over the top to your kids? Every conversation, if you can. This is not a Jesus juke. This stuff does relate to Jesus. He is already in the conversation. You may as well name him and name the gospel. By contrast, the book's uh, reasoning is uh, often very secular and kind of moralistic. Uh, when I started rereading it, I thought I would get uh, some more religious arguments. I thought, okay, th- at least quote some verses, like quote, like even a throwaway reference to Deuteronomy 18. Oh, witchcraft is bad. You know, we've gone through that and shown that there's a little bit more nuance there, but he hasn't done that. Uh, he rarely argues from the Bible. Oddly enough, he actually engages a lot more with popular culture uh, than than with some of the scripture texts. Uh, so that struck me as uh, as odd because I was I was expecting the reverse. <laughs> He's actually very adept at describing uh, the lore of My Little Pony and uh, you know exactly how He Man got to his magic realm and all of that. But you can't limit the gospel to those asides. You have to stress it in a Christian book. So ultimately, I mean, I think for me, I can't remember. Like I, I read, I didn't read this book in the eighties. I would have been too young. I think I found it on my parents' bookshelf in the in the nineteen nineties. And this is my own copy, by the way. I think they may still have it around there somewhere if they haven't given it away a long time ago. But I think it was good for me to read this book. It was a fun read. The style made it very accessible. Uh, it introduced me to the genre of nonfiction Christians trying to engage the world around them 
in a, in a very open way and getting very detailed about uh, the, you know, these eighties franchises and such. Uh, it was healthy to see a Christian author making the attempt, even if I disagreed with a lot of what he said and definitely disagree with the ignorance of the gospel presentation. But it was a good challenge to read this book. And it left me, as I've said, uh, probably planted that seed in me very early that Christianity has something to say about popular culture. These two topics are not exclusive. And uh, without this book, I probably would not have been uh, led by Providence uh, to uh, help write the book, The Pop Culture Parent, uh, with my co-authors. Yeah, you're so right about the need to actually preach the gospel. <laughs> like 1 Corinthians 15, the the gospel of, of what Jesus has done for humanity and how he reconciles us to God. I, I think about that quote that C.S. Lewis wrote uh, in a letter to a child. who said, everything you love about Aslan is true about Jesus. And man, that is the kind of thing I would have loved to have heard from a book like this with the pop culture that I was into as a kid. This one particular memory, Stephen, stands out to me where I I was really into Transformers as a kid. And there was uh, one episode of the cartoon where Optimus Prime dies. And it was so shocking. And, you know, this was back in the days of Saturday morning cartoons and no binge watching. And you had to wait a whole week just wondering what's going to happen next. And man, I was bawling in front of the TV when Optimus Prime died. And I, I was just like crushed that my hero would would be killed off or whatever. And what if Bill Phillips or someone else had said to me at that moment, you know, everything you love about Optimus Prime is true about Jesus. You know, he is the courageous hero who sacrificed himself uh, against the hordes of, you know, Decepticons that are really representative of the devil and his works and that he stood in front of that for you and and died for your own sin your own you know complicity with the decepticons or whatever uh, what an amazing message that could have been and so i i think you're absolutely right that we can't simply just critique culture we have to look for how how does this give us a hint of what the gospel is and how can we just preach that even to ourselves in the midst of our engagement with all this stuff? Exactly. And by preaching the gospel in this context, you know, it's not just, oh, well, by the way, Jesus died for your sins and you're going to live forever in heaven. That is certainly a baseline truth of the gospel. But with application to popular culture, any material, anything that we're preaching to ourselves has to make that specific application that it is not just Jesus dying for the souls of his people, but Jesus dying to redeem the world. Not every person in the world, we're not universalist, but he has made this universe for his glory and given us, made in his image, the ability to remix components of the universe into stories and art and music and popular culture and real, you know, the broader culture of which popular culture is a part. All of that should be done for his glory. He, he is absolutely connected to that. And you have to make those connections explicit in any material uh, that wants to critique or praise popular culture. And most of the time we're going to be doing a mix of it. We're not saying don't critique popular culture. We're saying if you critique it, you have to know what it's for. I actually have an article of one of my favorites is like, Christians, please don't criticize popular culture until you know what it's for. And that was in response to some Christian pundits or uh, writers or pastors who would, you know, just occasionally you know, pop their heads up out of the groundhog hole. Uh, and then if they saw their shadow, uh, they might talk about how bad popular culture is right over here. 
And then they would go back into the groundhog hole and we get six more weeks of winter. In other words, they didn't seem to be very interested in that holistic biblical view of what popular culture is even for in the first place. They just pop up, make an observation about one thing. I can't believe you guys are reading that book. And, <laughs> and then they can go back to talking about Romans 8. You know, if you're going to talk about it, and I'm not saying you have to all the time, but you have to know what it's for. Uh, and that's, that's a big idea that we have uh, at Lorehaven and with the Fantastical Truth Podcast. Well, to you, our listener, we would love to hear about your favorite toys, any Christian warnings you've heard about them. And as an adult, you know, when you look back at, at these kinds of uh, alarmist messages in the church, what do you think? Uh, if you have kids of your own, how do you discern the purpose of these toys, the messages from these toys, from cartoons, the popular cultural messages that kind of surround all these things? And what do you think about that? We'd love to hear from you. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. You can, of course, always tag us on the social medias as well. We're on Facebook at Lorehaven Mag and on Twitter at Lorehaven. Just simply Lorehaven. Zach, I believe you now have a quick stranger than fantastical fiction segment for us. Yes, and I think you're going to like this one. All right. So this <laughs> is an article from Discover Magazine. And the title of it is scientists put a human intelligence gene into a monkey. Other scientists are concerned. <laughs> hmm, where have we seen this before, Stephen? <laughs> Apes together strong. <laughs> yeah. What could possibly go wrong? So this is a very interesting experiment they did. This is, uh, I believe they're using CRISPR, the gene editing tool or something very similar. And yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. They, they literally added some amount of intelligence to this monkey. And, you know, the, the co-authors on this uh, paper, they really ask these heavy questions like, you know, would this humanized monkey fit into its society of other non-human monkeys? Or, you know, would it tolerate living in inhumane conditions? Because they use monkeys for experiments and all kinds of things. So then what happens when the, you know, test subject becomes self-aware that brings up a lot of ethical concerns but does that does that make a monkey a human is it just that gene that makes us humans and then uh what what comes next <laughs> what happens when that monkey gets even smarter and it bootstraps and hmm, i think we've seen where this goes i i don't think these scientists have ever seen a movie before i'm personally. seeing the statue of liberty on a beach and charlton <laughs> heston pounding sand quite literally pounding sand and than saying some famous words that we can't repeat on a Christian podcast. <laughs> I actually have not seen the old Planet of the Apes movies. No, not even the first one. And, you know, I feel like I've seen it just because the references are everywhere. But of course, as I've mentioned, I'm a huge fan of the uh, the recent uh, Planet of the Apes film trilogy. Uh, yeah. The latter of two are directed by Matt the Batman Reeves, and of course, famously starring Andy Serkis as uh, Caesar. Uh, who, of course, is a chimpanzee given an experimental drug meant to cure Alzheimer's, and he develops self-awareness and uh, quite a very complicated family life with the humans who raised him and the ape colony that he founds. And several members of the ape colony turn against him, and it is an amazing tale of vengeance and apes on horseback carrying around AK-47s all at the same time. So best yeah, kind of story. Yeah, best kind of story with that cool factor and mining the depths of the human experience in a story about talking animals for grown-ups. Highly recommended those Planet of the Apes films. As a cautionary tale, too, this is, this is ridiculous. You guys need to at least have some self-awareness about 
what you're doing in your gene modification experiments. Your scientists only asked if they could, not if they should. The meme repeats itself. (laughs) Well, where are we going next on the podcast? Well, next on Fantastical Truth, if we're going to speak about toys, we should certainly speak about the one who brings them. I speak, of course, about jolly old Santa Claus, who this time of year, at least among some Christians, may suspect is a combatant against Jesus Christ. The actual reason for this season Should we see these two in combat? Is it Santa Claus versus Jesus Christ every holiday season? Or may there be a way not just to kind of uncomfortably graft Santa Claus into the secular version of our Christmas celebration, but how could Santa, not just the legend of St. Nicholas way back in the first millennium, but the modern version with the magic reindeer and the commercialization in the factory of elves and everything, how could those fit into a fun, geeky, and gospel-based celebration of our Savior's incarnation on Earth? We're going to look forward to exploring that on our next episode. Meanwhile, don't experiment on apes and try not to experiment on kids who do need to play. Uh, If you were a kid, you remember how much you grew through healthy play with or without toys connected to TV shows. But see play, see recreation and popular culture, and even shows that may have some occult imagery in them in light of not moralism, not secular reasoning, but in light of the gospel. We can appreciate Christians who tried to wrestle with those ideas even as we critique their exact applications as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth.